Edwards, super goal. That is a cracking goal from a smashing young player. And Chelsea lead at Anfield. And Liverpool stare down the barrel at home again. Welcome to the Every Other Saturday podcast, episode one. I'm Daniel Childs. I'm Jay McIntosh. Oh, is it me that's meant to like lead that over? Is it? Yeah, you should just you should just keep going. I I think you know you should. Right. You're the okay. more articulate one, so you should just start speaking. All right. Okay. Well, do you want me to go? So when we do that, do you want me to sort of explain what the premise of the podcast is? And yeah, you know, this is all going in the podcast. This is this is the podcast is it, right here. Is it really? Okay. Great. Um, yeah, well, I'm Jay McIntosh. Welcome to the uh, the Every Other Saturday podcast, which obviously isn't going to be out every other Saturday. It's going to be out, you know, weekly. It's just a good name. But really? Have you got is... an agenda or something? It's standards, <laughs> it Jay. It standards. <laughs> Claxon already. Claxon, Claxon already. But no, let's talk about let's talk about Liverpool first, bro. Let's talk about Liverpool first because it's something that needs to be addressed. Um, how did you think the game went? Like, give me your thoughts because I watched it, I streamed through it, and I said it around. I think it was the 82nd minute I was talking to uh, talking to Jam who I was streaming with and I was saying if I, if I was watching this game as as a neutral I would already be saying Chelsea's got this comfortable because Liverpool have not done anything it was just as a fan I was quite nervous going into the last mm. 10 minutes because I know what Liverpool can offer I was, I was particularly pleased when Salah came off because you know contrary to a lot of Chelsea Twitter anyway I really rate Salah I think he's a very good player so I was, I was pleased that that threat came off but mm. I thought we looked comfortable bro what about mm. you? I'm going to throw in a movie reference right here. It reminded me like of Skyfall. Skyfall is my favorite Bond film because it matches old Bond with the new Bond. And I felt like that Chelsea performance was like old school Chelsea of like 2014 blended with like the new Chelsea I want to see of like possession based football. You know, we don't have to sort of sit with 10 men behind the ball for the whole game. We can actually try and attack a bit more. Um, Oh man, I loved it. I did. Like, that's the best I felt about Chelsea in... I want to be overly dramatic and hyper, hyperbolic right here and say five years, but I'm I'm wrong. About, I'm definitely wrong <laughs> about that. Um, but yeah, that, that Mason Mount goal, like, was just, I mean, a thing of beauty. I don't know what it is about Chelsea players scoring wonderful goals at Anfield. Um, I, I just love it because, you know, there is no better place to win a game of football. There is no better win for to me. This season is now a success. This is this season is now deemed as a success <laughs> because Chelsea have won at Anfield. Um, I do want to pick up some really cool things from the game that you know are quite irrelevant, but to me we have to touch on you know just instantly. Firstly, <laughs> warm blankets. Like I just I love the warm blankets. I burst into laughter when they cut to it. Um, just one of the assistants giving all the players blankets. I felt like a cup of tea was going to be handed round. A flask was going to be handed round. And then also uh, Mateo Kovacic uh, accidentally on purpose kicking the ball into Sadio Mane's face. If you wanted a metaphor for what Chelsea were doing the other night to Liverpool, <laughs> giving them their yeah, fifth yeah. home defeat in a row, it, it really did sum up the game. I mean, what, what do you think? Because those were like two irrelevant things. And that's what I'm going to do on this podcast. I'm going to pick up like irrelevant things that I just find funny in the game because I, I just love those two moments. Do you know what? I, I did think I got on my high horse a bit, though, because I was like, well, if 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 Mane had done that to Kovacic, you'd have had, you know, literally millions of Chelsea fans complaining. Um, yeah. And then you always see you always see on social media like the, the sort of justice warriors that are saying, well, if it happened to you, you wouldn't like it. And I, and I kind of do rate that. And I, personally, I can't help but think Kovacic done it on purpose. But 
I have been saying for the last 18 months, perhaps, maybe a bit longer, that Chelsea don't have a bastard. Yeah, like, yeah. That we, that we need an on-pitch on bastard. It just has to happen. And if Kovacic wants to play that role, then fine. Like, I'm Listen, happy man. for him to do that. Diego, Diego never meant to stamp on, uh, what was it, Emre Khan? He, ne- he never, you know, he just accidentally on purpose. This is what you do. You just like slyly 100%. do it. You know, the ball was there to be won. Kovacic is a ball-playing player. He wants to get the ball and dribble past Mane. And unfortunately, Mane's face was in the way. That, that's what happened. You know, that's the, and he, and he got away with it. No, I, I love the, I love the needle and aggression in the performance because, you know, I don't, I, a bit like you, I, 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 I didn't really back this team to have a performance like that in it, to be honest. Um, especially like seeing Rudiger being so aggressive against Mane. Um, Andres, let's, I, we have to talk about Christensen, right? I feel like yeah. we've had disagreements about Christensen in the past, right? And I've been on the side that I think he can be a good defender. I just think there are some glaring issues in a physical league like the Premier League. You know, my, my point has always been, I actually think Christensen excels in games where the ball's mainly on the floor, which it kind of was once again against Liverpool. But I don't want to demean the performance because this was a guy, I think, two months ago, I think a lot of us felt he's out the door, right? He's probably not going to have a future at Chelsea. Now, I mean, you're sort of in your mind thinking, where's Thiago Silva coming back in? Because Christensen was, was given man in a match. Yeah, I, to be honest, I think Chris, I think uh, Christensen will stay starting. I've, I've always been a big sort of, supporter of his abilities to be honest with you it's not I, I, I kind of pride myself on the fact that I'm, I'm able to criticize and you know compliment certain players on, on their abilities I, I do it a lot of Jorginho because I find him a tricky player to understand but Christensen he's so intelligent and so good on the ball it just seems sometimes like he was a bit timid for the league and that he would just get beasted by <laughs> certain attackers a bit too easily it, it definitely seems now that he's added a bit of physicality to his game and maybe Tuchel's come in and, and said that, you know, I like what you have. I like what you do. Let's see if we can ramp it up and take it to the next level because he's a very composed player at the back. And it seems as though Tuchel likes to have those composed players in those positions. You know, he had Hummels, who's, who's an exceptional ball player as well. Thiago Silva, obviously really good in the ball. Marquinhos, amazing on the ball. So I think it helps him there. I'm glad you mentioned Christensen as well because I don't want to get too much into like Mason Mount because it's almost I find it just a bit pointless that we have to defend him. I don't think he defends himself now. Christensen has been outstanding for the last month. I think that he's been brilliant. Rudiger as well. <laughs> Rudiger man, do you know what he done a Ronaldo chop in our own box in like <laughs> the 75th minute, and I was like, this is everything about this guy like right there. I, sometimes he's so like. You have to enjoy the. He will. He dances on the line. He does just strange things, and you know it seems to be working for him at the moment. But I definitely, I definitely would take Rudiger out of that back three to put Thiago Silva in if I were to take one of them out. But I think I think they've all been they've all been pretty good. But mm. would you reckon? Would you take Rudy out as well? Oh, it's, it's tough, isn't it? Because Thiago Silva is Thiago Silva. I mean, two players who I've been defending for years through the dark days. And I was like, I felt a sense of like my work is done on Thursday night was uh, Jorginho and, and Antonio Rudiger. Like, especially Jorginho, because like Jorginho for me, like that was his best performance in a Chelsea shirt by by some distance, at least in, especially against the type of opponent it was. I think that was a big night personally for him. It's tough. It really is tough because, you know, it's all about chemistry, isn't it? And, and you know, you're you're very happy with that back three. They seem very stable. They seem to know where each other are. Um, they seem to have a bond together that th- there seems to be a lack of space. We're really limiting the space between midfield and our back three. That was a, a major problem 
not only in terms of under Lampard, but also under Sarri, you know, that that space that was there. And, and Jorginho's very much been taught. I think midfield is such a key area to solving our defensive issues because I've, I've never believed that any of our centre-backs, and I said this last year, are rubbish or not good enough. I think that, yeah, sure, there are some of them that I don't think can on their own lead you to a Premier League title, but they're all, you know, can be used very wisely. And I think, you know, Tuchel is... is has been so smart in his squad management so far. I think he's realised that, you know, Thiago Silva's... Well, Thiago Silva, I think, instantly getting injured, I think maybe swayed his thinking to stick to the back three. If you think about that, you know, everyone's talked about the back three. Not only has it worked, but I think you do wonder if Thiago Silva was fit, would he have stick, stuck with the back three still? Because um, I cause love you, a back three. I, I, I back do three. as well. It's, you know, it's Conte, it's Conte, the, the feels of 16, 17 Conte. Um Another player I want to speak about, um, what do you call it? Uh, ben Chirwell. Ben Chirwell for me is, oh, is fully boy. back. Ben Chirwell is fully back. I was seeing people write this guy off like two weeks ago. Um, I just, I love him because I think, I think the thing is right. And I'm, I, maybe you're of the same mindset, right? You're already sort of thinking towards next season and it's not sort of writing off this season, but I'm thinking players who I trust to lead us to a Premier League title in the current state. Yes, Marcus Alonso did in 1617, but Marcus Alonso of 1617 is very different to Marcus Alonso, in my opinion, of 2021. And what I like yeah. about Ben Chirwell, as we saw against Man United and Liverpool, is he is a guy I think you can play against a wide array of opposition. You don't have to sort of limit his game. I think he, you know, he's got that acceleration mobility. And it seems like Tuchel, man management-wise, has maybe sparked something in Chirwell to say, you know, you, you're not guaranteed a place here. You know, you have to work for it and maybe you know, he dipped form in the winter months. He's now coming back into it, really. Yeah, and, and it's worth it's worth mentioning with Chilwell. Like I've, I'm quite a strong defender of his and I, I try not to have any sort of player agendas because, you know, I'm, yeah. an, I'm an adult. But like, mm. <laughs> I like Chilwell. I think he's very good. I was happy when we signed him because what we've seen, especially with all the new signings this season, and I know Chilwell struggled, you know, dips in form. I think that's something he'll iron out of his game as he sort yeah. of progresses through his, his mid-20s. Um, is that people are finding it harder than ever to adapt to the Premier League. It's really, really not easy. And, you know, Bruno Fernandes is a very, very rare example where someone's come and hit the ground running. You know, I remember Fabinho when he joined Liverpool. Was it six months? People just, you know, wrote him off. And you look at Timo and, and Kai and, you know, there's there's no doubt in my mind those guys are going to adapt quickly. But Chilwell was brought in because he understood the league and, and he understood what it means to be sort of in and around the, the competitive place at the top of the league. And that's why... You know, I rate him. I think it's a good idea. Um, I thought it was a good idea to sign him. And then thinking about it in a slightly sort of bigger aspect, uh, Tuchel's always had absolutely rubbish fullbacks. He's always managed absolutely... Like, PSG are like good fullbacks away from being a serious, serious team. Their fullbacks are pretty, you know, average. I, I think Bernat's all right. Florenzi's all right. You know... It's not a great Kazawa. I mean, it's pretty average. I'd say Ben. Have you seen him on FIFA though? You know, have you seen him on FIFA? What What are you talking about, Jay? I know, but come on now, like Ben Chilwell. Ben Chilwell's Ben Chilwell's better than all of those players. I think currently, anyway. I know Florenzi is is a decent player, but I reckon Tuchel just understands that it takes time to learn and adapt to new systems. So he's given players that time, and and I, I. with everything at the moment, I hope that Tuchel extends his contract longer than 18 months. But again, I think it was a smart move for him to not have that contract any longer, just to see how it goes. Um, but, you know, I'm looking I'm looking around and I've, I've tweeted out a few times. I think I'm going to have to change my judgment a bit. Is I've, I've said, you know, Chelsea haven't really been challenged. 
But actually, I just think it might be Chelsea have taken the challenge away from other teams. I, I, I think that's actually what's been going on. I, I was of this belief that I said the next three or four games, which this is preceding Southampton, uh, Atletico, Man United and Liverpool, we're going to see a difference, right? We're going to see teams who will try and press you up the pitch. I think at this point, you do have to turn around and go, we've just won at Anfield for the first time in seven years. We've, you know, we, we've got the best chance we've had in seven years, a parallel between Atletico and Liverpool of, of progressing past the last 16 of the Champions League for the first time in seven years. <laughs> I think at some point you have to go and, you know, you think about the best teams, right? And you think about Chelsea at their best. It's, it's that type of performance where the goalkeeper has to do absolutely nothing. Like almost like shouldn't you, if your goalkeeper is having to make world-class saves consistently, you know, Petr Cech, Thibaut Courtois, you know, even I remember years back when the last time he won there in the Premier League, or I don't I think it was, no, it was the Gerard Slip game. Schwartz was in goal, you know, didn't have to do a ton that day because the defence in front of him was so good. Um, and your goalkeeper shouldn't have to be exposed so often. Um, you know, and if as we saw against Man United as well, you know, Mendy makes a big save in the end, but, you know, he isn't exposed too much. And that has been a problem, I think, not only for, for Mendy, but for Kepa maybe as well. You know, I, I do think we've, we've allowed so much space to opponents and you have, you'd have to turn around and go, Jorginho, Kovacic, that midfield too, which I still have my doubts about whether it can lead us to a Premier League title over 38 games. But if we're talking in the current moment, Tuchel's getting results and Chelsea... I just I think you've got to be happy with where things are going, you know. That's the, and it doesn't mean that any critique of where the long term vision is or the, the the vision to next season is 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 a negative. But I think that tactically it's been interesting, and you know you look at the next run of games, right? And you think we've come through this very sticky patch that I think a lot of us looked at, you know, with fear this run of games, and Chelsea have come through it unbeaten, some big wins as well. Is second possible, you know? Because I look at Leicester. Uh, 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 ever lengthening uh, injury list I look at Man United who are the most confusing team in the Premier League um, I, I just I wonder you know I don't think it's ridiculous to say that second could be possible for this Chelsea side now nah, I hear that I hear that I, you know I'm I'm excited to see, you know I've said every time I've watched the games because I've been streaming for every game and it's just been like okay I enjoy watching us when when we have problems to solve now like I don't I know that we're good on the ball. You see the triangles, you see the movement, you see the play. Like I, I tweeted out saying that I knew there was a plan for the Liverpool game. Like I'm, I'm very critical of Jorginho and I think he warrants a lot of criticism because it's so frustrating to watch sometimes. But against Liverpool, he was metronomic and he just he just dictated play and that's something that was absolutely right and, and bang on. And I hope that, that those performances continue because for me, he's almost Willian-esque in, in the sense that some games he's absolutely world class and you you can't lay a finger on him and then you know that he has that in his locker just you don't necessarily see it enough and I and I said to the boys I was like you know I haven't noticed Jorginho today and that's exactly what I want I don't want to notice him because you notice the flaws he makes you don't actually notice too often the amazing things he does because he's he's knitting everything together it's you know it's very Busquets like and and I, I really liked his performance but Second's a tough one, and I'm, and I'm looking forward to seeing Chelsea play against teams that have that player or those two players that are slightly different from the the sort of standard decent attackers of the Premier League. You know, how's Christensen going to cope with Calvert-Lewin, for example? That's going to be interesting. You know, we were we were comfortable against Leeds earlier in the season, but how does this system, you know, line up against 90 minutes of serious pressing? 
you know, I'm sure I, I think we'll be fine, but but how do you cope? What what goes on there? Who who do you pick? You know, those teams that do things slightly differently. How do you cope, for example, when we got to play West Ham? We got to play West Ham in a few weeks, and you know that they're, they're a very decent side of good players, and, and Moyes is doing a good job. They're almost playing like a false nine system at the moment. I mean, at times it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't look like an obvious track. I, I have so much respect for Antonio. I, I love watching Antonio yeah. play football and he absolutely done us last season. So I'm a little bit yeah. concerned about playing him. But you you do back Tuchel to, as, we, as was seen against Liverpool, as has been seen recently, his tactical sort of vacuum into, to, and he made it quite obvious what we were going to do. That was that was the quite amazing thing. I mean, I, and this is not to big myself up. If I I was quite, I felt quite vindicated because I was like, well, can we just attack Trent Alexander-Arnold, please? Like, can we just try and do that and see what happens? Um, you know, you, you notice the way we most Chelsea most of the season attacked down the right. All our creativity comes down around against Liverpool. It, it came down the left. I think you you do see this adaptability of Thomas Tuchel, and I think I agree with you, right? It's 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 what his strength should be, right? It's adapting to different opposition, um, and maybe there is this sense of maybe a, a shift for Chelsea now. Is there is, you know, it's that mindset of baby being the underdogs or not having as much expectations. Of actually, now fans are going to look at these big results, you know, the a trilogy of big results away from home, Spurs, Atletico Madrid, and Liverpool, and say there's going to be higher expectation, right? But you you, you don't want to go overboard and say this team's perfect because I think that because we still had the Southampton game and there still have been problems, especially in attack, in my opinion, in terms of the fluid fluidity of that attack and the, the clinical nature of it because I, I still think that's an issue Chelsea have. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think Werner warrants to be playing as a striker though. I thought he was really impressive against Liverpool. Do you know what I, I did think about as well? It's just, you know, you and I always talk about the sort of culture of the club and, and the way that things are done and, I think certain sections of the fan base, maybe slightly older fans, it's quite hard to adapt to this way of winning. Because when you think of Chelsea and you think of big game wins, they've been under the cosh the whole game and then counter-attacked and, and, and won. And, and they've been resolute defence. And now it's it's very different watching us play. It's it's very controlled. It's very, you know, there's a, there's a nice tempo. It's very much we're in the driver's seat. We have the ball and we're going to keep the ball and, and try and solve problems and stretch it that way. And it is slightly different. And I wonder if a dip in form happens again, which is not, you know, out of the question, even though we seem to be on sort of a snowball effect at the moment, is a fan's going to lose their patience quickly because of the style of play. You, you saw under Sarri, for example, when when possession doesn't work, it seems like the patience wears thin much quicker than if you're trying to counterattack specifically at Chelsea because the the fan base has been you know nurtured on this you know cut cut loose counter-attack sit deep and you know this is like the polar opposite of a Conte three at the back isn't it the way we're playing so that's something I'm interested to see mate I also think you know it's just I remember quite I think it was like 85 minutes gone and Christensen and Jorginho were like playing the ball to each other again you know we were playing out from the press very well very coolly the other night and I just heard my dad in the other room screaming you know get out you know like boot yeah, it, yeah, yeah. bolt it you know like <laughs> you know like something like Sam Allardyce would say um and I I that is an English culture thing isn't it that yeah just um, launch it, just I, get I, it out. Th this is more of a general point I do wonder how fans English fans are going to deal with this because the game is moving more at least in my opinion in that direction you know, you look at the way youth academies, the way a lot of young players are being developed now, they're being developed in a way to be comfortable in possession, 
deeper deeper in the pitch you know especially center backs you know the the, the rule change that defenders can be inside the box when a goal kick is taken you know it absolutely helps possession-based football and playing out from the back the thing i always say about possession right is people get frustrated about it. possession as as pep guardiola says himself is a tool it's not a philosophy it's not no manager is going to turn around and say my my whole principle set is is based on the idea of passing the ball to each other you know that's not mm. that's not it it's 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 a way of playing it's a way of creating space and, and Chelsea showed the other night that it, in possession if you have possession from deep if you can attract a team like Liverpool to press you high their press and their high line has been suicidal this year it's not the Liverpool of last season granted but it shows you that when it can work, you can be very effective with players. And I also think, just one more thing before we move on, I I more and more think this team looks better under Tuchel so far without a natural forward, without a Olivier Giroud or Tammy Abraham. I, but you don't want Haaland? Is that what you're saying? Oh, standards klaxon. Standards klaxon. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, 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 From what I've seen so far, I think we play much better when there isn't an obvious focal point in this system. I think it lends itself to a false nine. It lends itself to someone, a fluid front three. I look at the games that have impressed me so far have been Tottenham away uh, when Kalamata-Nadoi, Timo Werner and Mason Mount played in that front three. And, you know, no one was really the focal point. You could argue Mason was the other night. I still feel that's that's where we've looked most fluid. I don't know why that is. I just, I think in the... You know, Olivier Giroud scores the overhead kick, right? And it's an incredible moment. But his all-round play for me, when I've watched him play so far, I don't think has been amazing. I don't think it... No, agreed. You know, we're maybe the exception of the Newcastle game where he scored himself and Chelsea were a lot more on the front foot. But I don't... And maybe that's a case of Newcastle sitting so deep. But, you know, you've got to have a system that can maybe alter and bend and, and flex to a variety of opposition while still also keeping consistency. I mean, you don't want to be shifting that front three and that midfield week in week out I still think Tuchel himself would like to have some sort of consistency despite his sort of ability yeah. to change things up I don't know what do you think because I that's another yeah, area like right it. it's 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 because like it. Chelsea it's, lack it's, a goal scorer at the moment we lack a consistent goal scorer yeah it's, it's a tough one isn't it because I'm you think about that all the attackers we have and then who do you pick to be those the consistent guys there that that is so hard because you know if you're not going to play Mason midfield like has to be on the pitch he just has to be on the pitch. So then you're left with two players because, you know, Mace is better than Kai Verts this season and, you know, people are going to be up in arms about that, but it's a fact. So then, you know, do you play Kai as a false nine? Do you play Timo through the middle? Do you, do you play Hudson-Odoi? What do you do with Pulisic? Is Ziyech going to go? It's, it's, it's a tough one for Tuchel to work out and, and to balance. So, you know, it'd be interesting. But yeah, I like it. And I, I think people don't expect teams except for Pep Guardiola teams to perhaps operate without a traditional focal point and that can maybe throw people off because when you're when you're so fluid and you're able to interchange your positions along the front line it's it's quite hard for defenders to to work out where you're going to be because you're consistently providing them with with different problems but talking of problems professional segue CFCW versus Atletico Madrid shall we touch on it quickly yes yes absolutely Annoyingly, I I couldn't see the whole game live. I watched the first twenty minutes live, because um, and I was recording a podcast. Um, but I, I saw what was going on, and of course I went and rewatched it. I mean, absolutely incredible. I mean, there's a lovely parallel between the men's and women's team both beating Atletico Madrid, um, but this was so impressive. I mean, Berka saving two penalties, 
um the the quality and what i love watching about this team is just their the character within their team you don't win a game like that in that manner without some serious characters without a, a team bond or team chemistry things that unfortunately get under underestimated in today's game um I'm, i know it's something you know both you and i speak about and and that team has it in abundance right um I, I know it's a bit, you know, easy to say, but I think the story of Fran Kirby this season has been incredible. I, you know, the comeback story of her has, has been miraculous to watch, um, given what she's gone through, given, you know, how this team continues to evolve and continues to invest. You know, there is a, I, I think it was Liam Toomey who said, you know, it's almost Darwinian, sort of the the evolution of this team. It's like, you know, Emma Hayes will keep on improving this team year in year out and it's like who who can survive this and and kirby i think maybe there was a concern yeah. that she may have not survived this even though there's quite clearly world-class quality within her um i think personally for me but millie bright as well deep passing like i love watching her yeah, bring the ball great. out from deep um especially in the type of team that you know emma hayes has built and emma hayes just a wonderful coach you know and um, they were saying before the game when she did an interview that she looked nervous she didn't look nervous to me you know i just think she's you got to respect what she's doing in the game because what she's done with this team has has been wonderful and there is absolutely the chance that this team could win four trophies by the end of the season. Yeah, you know, the only team that they may struggle against is Leon. I, I the the squad is a, is actually a joke. I mean, to the people that are watching this, I'm I'm assuming not all of you watch women's football. You have to understand it is slightly different from the men's game. It just is that's something that, you know, if you're going to watch the women's game, you need to accept it before you go into it. Otherwise, you know, you're you're perhaps not going to get the full experience. But please take a second to go and watch the women's team because blink and you'll miss it. Essentially, it's, it's, it's like the 0-9-10 Chelsea team when every player was almost world class. It's absolutely crazy what is going on like. Some of the players in that in that Chelsea women's team are so, so good. It's actually unbelievable. And to they're pushing for, you know, the Champions League and and to to, you know, be a club that has both the men's and women's teams competing at the top level is, is exactly what you want to see in, in, in this sort of modern era of football. Because, you, you know, we, we've been talking about Liverpool, for example. Look what happened to Liverpool's women's team. They just, they, they didn't get to train with the men's team. They don't get to use the same facilities. They got relegated last season when the men's team was winning things. You know, that's, it's it's not how things are done because you, whatever way you think about the game, whether you think of it from a business point of view, whether you think of it from sports, whether you think of it, you know, ethically, there has to be parity, the, the, the quality across the, the whole squad, the entire Chelsea squad is in men and women is absolutely outrageous at the moment. And and just try and enjoy it because there's some real characters there and, and these players are, are building the foundations and, and really setting example for women all around the world to, to mm. you know, grow into the game. Some of the most enjoyable football I've seen this season, I'm talking about any type of football, has been watching Chelsea women. You know, that's the it's the, yeah. the way they play. I remember a game against, I think they beat uh, Man City back in October, November time. And they beat them 3-1. And the, I think it was the third goal. I mean, the way they, especially you talk about Chelsea, you know, the, the men's team undertook all, you know, playing out from the back, possession-based football. I mean, it literally went from Berger through, <laughs> through the defence, through the midfield. And I think it eventually went to Fran Kirby taking it around the goalkeeper and putting it in the goal. Um, electric football and um, the only thing that does frustrate me this is a very selfish thing right is I wish more games or less games would be 
colliding with each other between the men's and women's game. I think this is just a very hard thing to sort of orchestrate, right? Because, you know, they, they run, they almost run simultaneously the seasons, right? They, you know, a large part of both seasons, uh, even though they don't start at exactly the same time. I, I, that's some frustration. And I think more eyes would maybe be on the game if, if some, because sometimes we've had midweek games where literally the women are playing exactly the same time. And I think, where probably Chelsea women have gained a lot of fans and supporters, um, including myself, including my dad who watches the games as well pretty regularly, is say if Chelsea, the men's team play on a Saturday and the women play on a Sunday and the international breaks have actually, I think, really helped that game grow. It's just a bit of a shame, isn't it, that there, there's going to be that conflict, right? And I think if the game wants to grow to another level, you do think if they're constantly, if Chelsea are playing a massive game midweek, um, the Chelsea men's team are playing a massive game midweek and then the women's team are playing exactly at the same time, you know, there is going to be a conflict there. But I suggest to all of you, you should be watching the, this team because it's 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 the golden age currently, or at least, you know, we think of it as the golden age currently. And some of the football they're playing um, is incredible. And especially Emma Hayes, I think she's got such an incredible career mm. ahead of her. Whether that's, you know, and there's been, a, I don't know what you think about this, but some, some sort of debate recently around her potentially coaching in the men's game. And uh, there was something about AFC Wimbledon and that coming in for, for her. And, and Yeah, that was, that's a bit of a joke. Yeah, I mean, you, you do wonder... It's a whole culture thing, right? And you do wonder if it, who's going to make the jump in the men's game, who's going to be daring enough yeah. in the Premier League, for instance. She's she's good enough. Like the 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 thing is, she's she is legitimately good enough to be a Premier League manager. There's so you know, at fairs fairs from Wimbledon, but that is a bit of a joke. Like the the, the Chelsea women's team beat the Wimbledon men's team ten out of ten games. It, it, you know that that team is crazy, and and Emma Hayes. You know, if you're a manager, you play football with your mind, and you know the strength of the mind is what matters in in those moments. And her footballing brain is better than almost anyone on the planet at the moment. So she firmly deserves that. And and I think as well, just just before we go on, because I know we've got some questions that uh, I'm sure you'll treat us with, is that back in the sort of 60s, 70s, 80s, when you could interact with players on a more personal level, when you could see them out and about, you could, you know, contact them, you could talk to them, you'd see them in certain places. The women's team are very much like that on social media. You know, I, I, obviously, I own the Chelsea Social and then the CFCW Social as well. And we constantly interact with, with the squad there. And, you know, they're happy to chat to fans and to meet people. And you can go to King's Meadow and watch them play and they will chat and they will, you know, integrate. And that's something that you know, when you're building foundations for, for long, long, long-term success at the club, they're, they're, they're doing absolutely amazing things. And, and you know, Frank Kirby is a perfect example. She'll be a club legend. She's a world-class footballer and, and she absolutely loves the club and, and everyone there, you know, does as well. And it's it's a really nice experience to to be involved in the women's game. And, you know, I'm, I need to make sure that I'm, I'm more involved and consistently, you know, becoming involved. It's obviously hard with what you and I do, where we spend so much time focusing on Chelsea that you, you have to focus on the big things all the time. Otherwise you, you get caught up, but yeah, just, just, just give it a go because the team is imperious and everyone there is really likable. So I, I went to the, uh, Chelsea versus Tottenham game they uh, I think it was the first game of last season they at Stamford Bridge and I think it was like was it was it the highest attendance for a, for a women's an English women's league game or I know they nearly broke the attendance at Stamford Bridge but I was there and it was um such a nice day in terms of you know exposing a game to a new sort of crowd you know maybe bringing into the game and, and there was a there was a sense of you know community there and, and I do agree with you the sense of disconnect especially in the current moment 
um, with fans not being allowed in the stadium is so vital and I think there's a lot of debates to be had around the future of fans in football right and fans feeling more and more disconnected from the game and more and more separate from their clubs and absolutely I think that the fact that it is a growing game and you can have that connection and you know you with the uh, Chelsea Women's Social and, and connecting with those players on a weekly basis and you know really being a part of, of, of a developing and growing game I mean I think that nationally I think that if the women's the women's national team England could win a World Cup could win a competition a major mm -hmm. competition I think that would bring major exposure to the game it shouldn't have to but I'm just thinking you know <laughs> clinically and you know when most eyes are on the game and that's the way that game will want to grow but you think about the strides yeah. it's made in such a short space of time you think about where this game's going to be in 10 years for instance it the it's the only oh. way is up in my opinion um yeah. so absolutely so obviously we're going to try and cover as much of, of the women's and men's team on, on this pod as possible and it's great to talk about that because as you said i think hopefully more people will give it a chance because i think they'll enjoy it um so let's get to some of your questions thank you so much for sending your questions through got quite a few yeah, good through. responses, man. Good yeah, from, responses. From some great, like very uh, large members of the Chelsea community as well. So I thank for anyone who sent a question for apologies to those we can't get to. Uh, we got a journalist uh, as our first question, Nishal, um, who's now a, a regular yeah. member of the of the Chelsea press box <laughs> at Stamford Bridge. He's luckily been able to get there, done some incredible work recently and, and been asking Thomas Tuckle some questions as well. Um, he asked, and this is in relation to the win at Anfield, in what was our first league win at Anfield since 2014? What did we do differently then before to win there? We just weren't scared. That's all it is. It, the, the psychological barriers wasn't there. We, we took the game to him. We controlled the tempo, controlled the like pace, outplayed him in the middle of the park, which is usually where Liverpool can cause major issues because they can transition the ball quick to attack. Um, their front three didn't really isolate our back three at times, and I thought the full backs were good. Timo caused a lot of problems. Mount's world class, and and it, you know it is it is really that simple. Sometimes Liverpool are, are psychologically struggling, and they're missing. You know, no Van Dijk is major, so we we managed to exploit that, and and it's nice to not be that. It was so pleasant to ex hope Chelsea to win, and then they actually did it. Do you know what I mean? You, you, that was good. That was good, man. Yeah, Charity FC is is being liquidated, not only because of the other night, but, you know, we're not... We're, one thing I'm going to drill out of Jay in this podcast is is use of terms like that, Charity FC, all over my timeline before the game. And it needs to be fully liquidated now. Um, anyway, so we've got... A, uh, no, mm, mm, what, is mm, there conflict here? I don't know. Nah, it's, 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 we still need a bit more before the Charity FC label goes because... Mm -hmm. We've got some we've got some games ahead that you know if we lose, Charity FC Claxton comes out, mate. I thought it was just coming to my mind about Brighton, um, the XG Kings. That's so I'll just that's, that's a narrative these right there. These games, mate. Go on. We've got a friend of yours here, and a, well, a friend of mine on the channel as well, um, Elizabeth Helenek. You know Chelsea Social, but also has a own YouTube channel. Where I've guested on. I think you've guested on as well several times. Yeah. She asked, "Who is your most improved player under Thomas Tuchel? Is there anyone that's undroppable right now?" Oh, uh, most improved. See, I think Christensen isn't my most improved because I thought he was good anyway. I think Rudiger has improved massively. Because he's not a complete, he's not a complete fool on the ball now. It's it seems as though he's he's 
taken the next step, leveled up a bit, a bit more mature. He's still erratic, but I think that's his style and the way that he plays sometimes. You know, I think I think a fair amount of credit's got to go to, to Tuchel and Rudiger for, for that. But what about you, mate? I'd go uh, Christensen um, because I, yeah. I think that Rudiger has been better on the board than Christensen for most of his Chelsea career, um, with the exception of the last year. No, you can make that expression right. You can, listeners, you probably can't hear it. You probably obviously can't see it, but you know, just get just. I'm gonna get given, Lewis from given the phase TV on the phone right now. Well, this is the thing, right? I, I'll give credit to Christensen, and this is what I'm doing right now by saying he's the most improved player because it's not just about. There are many aspects to being a defender, and I think that there have been aspects to Christensen's game that have been lacking, right? And and that's what's yeah, concerned yeah, yeah. me. He's in a system now that's working for him. Um, I felt actually the other night he was the best he's been on the ball of progressing it from deep. You know, one of the things that people lord Christensen for is 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 his passing ability. I've always felt it's been a little bit sort of meh. I, I you know I think that you know if I'm looking for a, a progressive, as we talk about with Millie Bright and, and Thiago Silva, you want someone yeah. who can switch play, especially in that sweeper role, right? But I felt Christensen was very good the other night. Rudiger you know, has shown these levels for Chelsea before for me. You know, he has. Um, I think people okay, have forgotten yeah, about it. Saying. You know, he has, you know, I think about, especially under Sarri, I thought he was brilliant for most of that season. Um, undroppable, the second part of Elizabeth's question is is undroppable. Who, who's who's undroppable? I, I mean, I think there's only one answer to this, but... Yeah, Mason Mount. He's the only, he's the only undroppable in that team. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Kante. Mm. Absolutely. You know, that's, that is, that is it. No one else is is undroppable in that team, which is nice. I think maybe when Thiago Silva's back, I don't think he's droppable either. But he's not here at the moment, so I'm not gonna you know bracket him. I think I think Mason Mason Kante are probably the two players that for me stay on the pitch. Imagine a guy named Mason Kante. Imagine if you could forge <laughs> the two in a lab, and make Mason Kante That'd be that an unreal player, unreal player, unreal player. You know, but yeah, those, those two for me, I think. Mm. RJ asks, and a great friend of the channel, great guy as well, I've been on his pod recently. Um, question is, when uh, while Mount scored that goal, it came off the back of a glorious Kante long ball. Given this and his performance, do you think Kante is underrated in terms of his progressive and all-round passing game? I actually think Kante's passing is pretty bad, you know. Like, I'm, I really don't think his passing is as good as, you know, I've seen people talking about. I, I think passing is a weak point of his game. He's... I sometimes feel like he, he slows down transition because his passing is quite weak. And I know he, he played a, a very, very good pass to Mount for the goal. But I don't know if that's that difficult for a world-class football player sometimes. I expect, a world, like, I've played football more than enough to be able to know the, how hard it is to, to ping a 40-yard pass. It's obviously not that easy. But if you're a professional football player, especially of the level Kante, I know he's not a passer, but I expect him to be able to do that sometimes. And obviously it worked and, and that was really intelligent. I don't think his short passing is actually very good either. I think he's better when he's running with the ball than he is, you know, playing short, intricate passes. And, and that's why you see the Jovicic pivot sometimes, because those two are much more comfortable um, you know, shifting the ball between them and, and Kante just he's not that for me. And I've said this repeatedly with Kante. He's so, so good at a few things. I don't want his role to become diluted and him have to do more than, you know, what he's amazing at because there's 
you know, there's almost no one better in the, in world football than him at what he's good at. So I don't know why anyone would dilate that. And I, and I think Tuchel, in fairness, isn't isn't going to do that to him. I think he allows Kante to to the freedom to do what he does best. And you know, short passing is just a part of the game. And I don't think Kante's asked to be, you know, an express passer like maybe under Sarri, for example. But yeah, I don't know. I don't think his passing is is you know too good. What do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, I never expect N'Golo Kante to ping a pass like Cesc Fabregas could to Diego Costa. Um, but I also don't think he's the horrendous passer some people make him out to be. Um, I think, he, as you say, I think it's about with a lot of players, right? And this is coaching, right? Coaching one-on-one. It's about streamlining your players, making them as effective as possible within your system. Um, but Kante was stunning the other night. He really was. Um, I think sometimes it's hard to sort of gauge... You know, some players I will go with Jorginho, for instance, because he's a very specific player. You know, if he excels, you know why he excels. And if he fails, you know why he fails in a game. I feel sometimes with Kante, because he does so much, it's hard to really pin down. He just did this one thing really well because he brings an energy to that midfield. He helped us get out from the press, maybe not as the same way Jorginho can, but, you know, receiving the ball from sometimes from Reese James, you'd see sort of, I'm sure if someone put up these sort of triangle graphs of where the passing went, he'd usually be one of the last ones to receive it, actually. And sometimes he'd be sort of, uh, he'd be the last one to receive it in sort of to get into space to then drive forward. He wouldn't be the first one to receive the ball from, say, Edward Mendy, right? And there's a reason for that. Yeah. I don't expect him to be a metronomic player in the centre of the park. And I think that's a complete misunderstanding of what Kante does. But he is a world-class talent. And we've been having this discussion for a few years, right? And if we can get him back to the levels he was under Conte, um, even a little bit under, you know, you can't, I I don't think people should dismiss what he'd done under Sarri because I thought he was quite impressive in that system. Um, And he has scored some brilliant goals, specifically against Liverpool. Um, And he can show he can be quite an attack-minded player. But it's true, isn't it? He's such a unique footballer. But it, you need to, I think maybe there's been a bit of confusion over what he can do in the system and forgetting what he actually was brought to Chelsea to do. And I hopefully we start to see a bit more of that now. We've got a negative point here from Harry Saratov, um, another great guy on Twitter. <laughs> Sorry to bring yeah. up a negative point, but I think as a community, it's paramount that we discuss it and demand change. Offside rule was introduced in 1883 to prevent players from goal hanging. Should the rule be adjusted to accommodate this new tech? And you know he's serious about this because he's put the last bit of his question in capital letters. And for (laughs) the good of football. I mean, you know, I don't really want to get bogged down in offside chat. I just, I'm of the, I would prefer it to be, that if a part of your body is offside that you can't score with, then that's not offside. Um, you know, I'd like to say common sense football, but that means different things to different people. So there's no such thing as common sense, I guess, in that way. But you know, I just think it should be if, if it's a if it's an arm offside. I don't I don't know what advantage that gives you necessarily, because you know it's not we're not swimming. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it's not the arm is not allowed to be used. So. I, I found it quite harsh at Timo's goal was offside. You know, if and in fairness, if Liverpool would have had a goal disallowed that was exactly the same as Timo's, I would say the same thing. But but yeah, that's just that's just that's all, that's all I can say really. What about you? Sort of roll the eyes <laughs> in the back of my head, speaking about VAR and speaking about officiating. Trust me, it's uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think if you have to bring out seventy-five different lines to just to decipher whether someone's offside. 
I don't know why we just don't go with one line. If you're in front of it, you're offside. If you're not in front of it, you're not offside. I don't know what I, I think we'd, a lot of this, I, I the amount of goals I've seen this season that I think, I mean, and I'm not a, a qualified official, but I look at it instantly and I go, that's onside. And then, no, it's offside. That's offside. No, and apparently it's onside. I just, I think the whole idea about VAR was it being clear and obvious. And it doesn't, you know, it seems to be at times we're trying to, especially, you know, Thursday was such a, a strong night to show this, right? In, in comparison of two games of how laws in the game currently don't make a lot of sense. Timo Werner's goal is ruled out because a, a part of his body is offside that he can't score with. If he used the ball in the run-up to the goal, the goal would have been ruled out, right? Because he can't use his arm, obviously. Then you watch the Fulham game, which shows you the current law where a guy literally has the, has his arm down by his side, not in an actual position. But the law says if it touches a hand and of an opposition player anywhere in, in the build-up to a goal, it's not a goal, right? And you just sit there and you go... I mean, I've never been more VAR out, as childish as it sounds, in my life. You know, because I, I, I just don't trust the current crop of officials to to implement it properly. So that's sort of, sort of my opinion. There's no hope, kids. There's no hope. Finally, um, no, actually, not finally. Let's do two more because I, I do yeah. want to ask this. This is a great um, this is a great transfer related one, and a great what if. It's from, oh, I think I've seen this. I think I've yeah, seen this. Yeah, go this on. is from Tom who asks. Which are you picking? Number one, Chelsea sign Rice, but have to use Alvaro Morata up front instead of signing Erling Haaland. And number two is Chelsea signed Haaland, but have to use Timoué Bakayoko in CDM instead of signing Declan Rice. Is it? I think I'm going to have to say this really, really quietly. But I, I quite like Bakayoko, you know. I think he's actually... I do. I, I want, I I want a redemption. We've, we, we've got one redemption arc in, in Christensen. We need another one. In, uh, yeah, oh, in another one, in you know, the thing is though, Bakayoko has been brilliant everywhere except for at Chelsea. And even then, I wasn't sure. Like you know, I thought he was excellent against you know Atleti in the Champions League for us. Just it just wasn't working straight away. FA Cup he, final against Man United. He and against Liverpool at the back end under Conte, he came back into it. And I felt so sorry for him, man, being booed away to Watford. I mean, it was the worst half an hour of football I've seen from any Chelsea player. But still, and there were a lot of problems that season, right? And I think a lot of people pinned the you know, I think context is everything, right? And I think Bakayoko, a bit like a few Chelsea players down the years, you know, Morata as well started really well at Chelsea. And both yeah. of them, it just seemed to collapse post-Christmas um, as it did for Chelsea. they're both doing well now. Mm. They're both doing, like Morata's having a really genuinely very good season. And Bakayoko's, since he's been in Italy, he's been, he's been brilliant. Like he's actually been really, mm. really good. And there's obviously good players in, in, in there. And I think that, I, you know, Dan and I are both massive on Declan Rice, but Haaland is a talent level above. Um, even though we've spoken about um, the the fluidity of the front three, I, I, I like Bakayoko enough to be to accept him in that position to maybe give Haaland a go. Do you know what I mean? If Haaland doesn't work, what then? I think we should just rip it up and start all over again. Because if Haaland I, comes in and fails, I, I... I honestly don't think he's going to come in. I've said this so many times. I, I genuinely can't see it. I think... The, okay, then the, who... Because who, apparently Chelsea... We know Chelsea are going to make be making some signings in the summer. And based off the evidence of last season, it doesn't really matter. Where it, it sounds a little bit childish to say it doesn't really matter what Tuchel says. But there are club targets and there are coach targets. And it seems that club targets do yeah. win more often than not. If we're not signing Haaland, who's the striker, right? Because... 
despite my belief that a, a fluid front three works, this team needs a 20-goal season striker. Unless Tuchel can conjure up something with this current crop of attackers to turn us into a Liverpool-type front three in a short space of time. I mean, I, I just... We need a... We, there's a couple of things this team needs if it wants to win a Premier League title. It needs a DM. It needs a goal-scoring midfielder. It probably needs another centre-back. I'd say Lukaku, but we, you know, we, we have... What do you call uh. it? Oh, how about a really radical idea? We stick with Tammy Abraham, who's been Chelsea's <laughs> top goal scorer this season and was I, Chelsea's you know top what? goal scorer last season. I, I watch every Inter Milan game. Right, I'm, I'm, I really, really like Inter Milan. I do not want Lukaku leaving Inter Milan because there's something about players that just suit a club and are really, really enjoying it. Like, don't... Why Why on earth would he leave? They're top of Serie A by six points. They're going to win the league. They're the best team in it by an absolute mile. Um, and he's he's the best player there. And I personally, I think he's he's the most underrated player in Europe in the sense that he is actually this season a, arguably a top ten player in the world, like fully. He is unbelievable. If you, I, I promise, I watch him every single week. And his technique, his ability, his it's it's off the charts. It's so so good. And I don't think he would want to return to Chelsea. You know, he said previously that he's he he you know he loves the club and he's grateful for what's happened there, but to get Lukaku out is expensive, especially for Conte who who wanted Lukaku when he was here. So, yeah, literally. Um, I'm just I'm just think... going with I'm just going with because Chelsea aren't gonna go and sign someone that we don't know. You know, you've but got wait. to think Chelsea are going to sign someone that's quite obvious because we make obvious signings. We don't, you but know. I said this. I, I said this. Look, you know, Kai, Timo, Kalimhasadoy, Mason Mount, Ziyech, Pulisic, Tammy. That's seven players. How on earth? Like, there has to be a way that these and guys there's only three positions. There's only three positions in the team literally, available at the moment. Literally, I think I honestly, I firmly believe that. As you know, he he gets older and older. Mount's just going to add more goals. I don't think that's his primary purpose, but I think he just will happen naturally. Timo, he's so active. I I can't shake the fact that I think he's going to develop into a very very devastating player. Kai Havertz, I have always had reservations about, and you know that was an unpopular one at the time when we signed him, and I, I spoke about those then. Um, Hudson Odoi, I think he'll add goals. Tammy is hugely underrated by certain sections of the fan base. I think he's an excellent player as well. I definitely think he's a Champions League level striker. Um, if not, you know, top six striker for sure. Um, there's so many goals in that team, potential goals, that if they... It, it, I see it almost like Man City. I know Aguero scores all the time, or did, but there are players in, in that Chelsea attack that... You know, there, there's five players there that could easily put over ten goals and, and arguably ten assists together if and, if everything went to plan. Do you and know if what I mean? Pulisic, if Pulisic, I know it's, it feels more and more like a real unique purple patch in his career. But I mean, I was of the probably quite silly belief now that I was looking at him and going, I think this guy could be a twenty goal winger if he maintains. I don't a level. think that's silly because I look at his movement right, and to me, why I think he could work in his front three is he's. He's got anticipation to be in the right place at the right time, to constantly make runs inwards, you know, from, from the left, a bit like Timo does. And it's it probably is quite difficult to put both Timo and Pulisic on the pitch. And I felt the other night, 
Pulisic is maybe not finding it as easy at the moment because he's having to play on the right most of the time. And I, I think at Chelsea, he's constantly looked more devastating on the left. Um, and that's always that's good. that's a challenge, right? We bought Timo Werner, and you know that's where do you, how who do you prioritize, right? But in a fluid front three, you think that both of them could start and could interchange positions, right? So I, I just I this is what I'm saying, like the it's so tempting to always go and buy the the shiny new toy, but we have a lot of talent already, and I think it's pretty unprecedented for a, a team with such talent like we have for only one of them to be in you know mason mount for only one of them to be in form i you know i think cho's been great but he obviously has another level there pulisic struggled of injury he's got levels to go Werner just needs to finish off his chances and he'll actually he'll score bucket loads kaya Verts we need to see more of but he's had a tough tough time long covid and everything i'm willing to give him a, a, you know all of that and, and ziek as well I've actually not been very critical of Ziyech because I've I've really liked his movement since mm. he's been on the pitch. You know, he he pulls into, you watch him drift from the right into the box and then he stands maybe three yards behind a penalty spot. And two games in a row now, he's had shots cleared off the line by defenders. He, he you know, that's, they're fine margins that aren't consistent, that they change, you know, mm. you know, out of 10 times, those shots are going in, you know, maybe half the time. And when he starts doing that, there, there's goals to be shared. And, you know, you look at City this season with Aguero not playing, you've got, you know, Mares and, and De Bruyne and Foden and everyone chipping in. And that unpredictability about who's going to be where and who's doing what, and you know, that means teams don't know what's going to happen. And we have such talent already there mm. that I think they're good enough to warrant perhaps another season of trying and experimenting, especially if the defensive midfield solid, because that gives you the freedom to do so. Mm. You know, if Chelsea, specifically Chelsea fans, you know, that the, the response I always get is, well, we've got the money. Well, if we've got the money, we'll buy Haaland in three years then. Yeah. You know, he's, he's, he's got, he's got a 15 year career ahead of him. Probably he's not going to be off the market. But you know, if you if you get him, then fine. You get him. Who goes? Who knows? Do you know what I mean? But I think I think what we have now is is so good that it might be worth just giving it a little bit longer. What a novel concept! What a novel concept! <laughs> uh, finally, Rob asks if you could bring back one player from the two thousand and four to oh six squad, join this one. Who would it be and why? I don't want to just Frank say Lampard. the obvious. Yeah, I mean this. But this is the thing. I don't really because it's so it's so easy to just say Frank. I mean, I was thinking about this. JT, um, I, I'd yeah, love to see back Idaga Johnson. I loved Idaga Johnson, and I I loved watching Idaga Johnson play. Think about Idaga Johnson was a versatile player. Could play as a centre forward. Could play maybe a little bit off the forward. Could also play at times more in a central midfield role. I I loved Idaga Johnson, but I I'd, I'd bring back the whole honest, team. To be honest, yeah, I, I'd bring back Petr Cech as well, you know. I like Mendy, but I don't think we can sign a keeper now that's as good as Petr Cech was for us then. No. I, well, you can't I sign a midfielder better than Frank Lambert at the moment. Of course, literally. But then, you know, this is going to sound weird. I'm gonna, people are going to not be happy with me. Does Frank suit this system that we play now as much as, you know, the guarantee quality that check brings because his role doesn't change True. depending on the system fair like point. Would, would frank would frank he probably would to be fair because he's frank lampard but would frank play where mason's playing or would he play in the midfield 
he played, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you got to think he played in a 4-3-3 and then when Carlo came in, he reverted more to a diamond system and had two mm. forwards. So I think that, now nah, Frank was an astonishing player. So he, I think he'd fit in anywhere, to be honest. You could Just play a false nine. Yeah, you uh, yeah you could right. He scored you know scores twenty seven goals in a season for you probably. Uh, scores thirty goals in a season okay. if he was as the central striker. Uh, but that's it, man. This is the, the first podcast. Um, I I'm thought it was all right. It, it was all right. Yeah, apart from me fumbling the intro, but it's it's got to be done. But I'm, yeah, I'm happy with it. You know, over time we're we're gonna touch on things. We're gonna we're gonna be consistent. We're always gonna be here. We're gonna be chatting about football. Uh, we will have guests on at some point, but it'll mainly just be the two of us because that's yeah. Is what it is, isn't Just it? Really, but the two of us, literally. And I mean, I need to get like a. I might even invest in an air horn just to like actually get a real like klaxon. Yeah, we're <laughs> gonna be doing. We're gonna try and do some sort of klaxon things. Either when one of us says one of these buzzwords that I think that is deserving of the klaxon or maybe we just like have a what do you call it maybe you guys in you know on, on social media or listening to this can give us like ideas for topics for shows because <laughs> or topics for uh for topics on the show topics for topics that's that sounds epic yeah so. for sure man for sure and and also you know be prepared for us to touch on the women's game the youth teams as well just we'll, we'll try and go in depth I know there are a lot of good Chelsea podcasts out there but you know we're we're here to take part mm. So it is what it is, man. So obviously we can sort of shout out now where people can find our work elsewhere online. Jay, obviously you've got, uh, obviously on Twitter. JJ Macintosh 5 I need to sort that out. Um, you can also find the Chelsea Social. You'll, you'll probably, I guess you might have seen it. You can also find the CFCW Social. Um, I'll be over there. I've got an amazing team, you know, RJ, Ellie, Rob, Tom, that have all asked questions today. They're all from there as well. So yeah, please check out what we do. It will benefit you and it benefits us. But yeah, check it out, man. Also, uh, you can check out my YouTube channel, Daily Chelsea Content, uh, Son of Chelsea, uh, at Son of Chelsea on Twitter, at Son of Chelsea on Instagram, at Son of Chelsea YT on Instagram as well. Um, I'm not on Tumblr. I'm not on MySpace. That's where you can find me. But uh, that's it, man. I, I don't know how to wrap this thing up. I usually end my video saying I'll see you again. So, Jay, you've got the final word. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. Yeah, well, we'll see everyone again. We'll be back next week, I assume. Yeah, we're going to talk about the Everton game. Yeah, big game. That's actually a huge game. Every game's huge at the moment, but that game feels, it feels like every single game each week becomes bigger and bigger and more important. So yeah, we'll be back to talk about that. But listen, thanks everyone for tuning in for the first episode. It really means a lot. Dan and I have been trying to do something like this for a while um, and it's come through quite quickly and hopefully we can build on on some good foundations and, and really bring you guys some top content. But yeah, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. <laughs>